Well, good morning. It's good to be back here with you guys on preaching. We're going to be in the book of Jude, a small little book at the end of your Bible, right before Revelations. So small but yet powerful little book that, the, that Jude wrote, the brother of Jesus, and wrote to the believers. We think in Antioch, but we're not for sure, but to the church. I mean, God has inspired Jude to write this so we can read it and so the church can read it at the time. Well, when Daniel preached Galatians 4, 21 to 31, he preached uh, one of the hardest passages in the New Testament, and that some has called the hardest passage to preach. And he explained it well and was faithful to the text, but it took him a few weeks to study because of the difficulty. I'm glad that I had many, many weeks to study this passage because this too is a very difficult and hard text to understand. And there's a lot of things that Jude wrote in here and that resource Jude used that is tough for understanding. But the Lord inspired Jude to write this so we would have it in our Bibles and we would be able to read it. And one thing about being an expository preaching or pastor and have expository preaching is that we as pastors remain faithful to the text. And so when I was praying about what book I should be preaching through last year and praying what book God wanted me to use, Jude kept coming to my mind. As the resources I was looking over and just thinking, I have not heard many sermons over the book of Jude. And also during this time, Midwestern Seminary had opened up a new thing called For the Church and had a lot of information. And one of the books they started preaching to put out information for people and for pastors was the book of Jude. And they had a lot of great information. So I decided to go through this, not knowing that 10 through 16 was going to be very, very hard. I knew the last part of 16 was going to be, 14 through 16. We'll see why. But yet God, through his faithfulness, brought this text here. And as being an expository pastor, it means I don't gloss over it or I don't skip over it, but we dig in, we look at the verses, we look at the context that Jude is writing to. We look at, as I was studying, I looked at the Greek words that Jude was using, what he was meaning, because it's interesting is some of the English words don't mean the exact same thing that the Greek words meant. Or the Greek words had different meanings where we just have love. And Greek word had three different meanings of love as an example. So I'm excited to preach this passage. I'm excited to be faithful and to see what the message that the Lord has for us out of the book of Jude. And just the wonderful treasures that he has put into this book. And so will you pray with me and then we'll dive into verse 10. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We do thank you for this time that we're able to gather as believers the week after Easter, that we can be here and hear the preaching of your word, hear your word sung, have the Bible studies that we have in the morning, have faithful special music of things where we sing about your blood, and we can be united under the cross, that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ through your salvation. Lord, we thank you for that. Be with this time, Lord, hide me behind the cross, and let your name be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, we're going to be in Jude, verses 10 through 16. There's only one chapter in Jude. And we're going to be looking at verse 10 here in a minute, but if you were to see this as a painting, this is what Jude is doing. Jude has been painting a picture for the church. And as he is painting a picture, he is going to paint, especially in this section, on how bad the false teachers really are. He is going to go into detail about how bad they are and to realize how dangerous they are. Jude wants to make sure that none of his flock 
or future readers, because you got to remember, these letters weren't just given to one church. They were passed on. And even Paul talked about passing the letters on. They were passed on to other churches. And Jude wants to make sure that no one in the church goes after these false teachers. Do you realize that the book of Jude, as we have looked through over half of this little book, has been warning about false teachers? calling out the false teachers, telling us to stay away from the false teachers. And again, it's because he knows that there are lives on the line. He knows that there are souls on the line, that if these souls follow after the false teachers, they are doomed to hell. And Jude does not want to lose any of his flock or anyone to these false teachers. So he's gonna paint this picture. He's gonna make it look very, very, get into nitty gritty of the paint so people can see how bad it is. A lot of times we think of biblical times and we think of our times now, we think biblical times aren't nearly as bad as we have it today. They didn't go through as much bad things as we're going through today, but that's actually not true. If you think about it, the church had just started. The church was in its infancy because Jesus is the one that started the church and he went up into heaven and then gave birth to the church and started it with Peter and the apostles and then put it upon Paul and then Paul took it and gave it to other people and they were starting a church. And as the church began, the first thing that attacked was sin. Sin was rampant in the church. Just look at First and Second Corinthians and Galatians, as we've been going through the book of Galatians, and see how these churches had sin inside them and having problems. The enemy was trying to destroy the church, and then the enemy was getting inside the church through false teachers. The one thing that Paul keeps warning about, especially in the book of Galatians, Daniel's been taking it through, is the Judaizers, who are saying you have to be saved through Christ and the law. You have to keep the law and Christ to get to heaven. And then you got these false teachers. Not only was their sin rampant, but war was happening across the empire. The Roman Empire was not stable. They were starting to have problems with their emperors. They were starting to lose territory. They were fighting for more territory. So war was something that these people faced. Not only that, empire-wide persecution. It didn't take long for the Roman Empire to say, we hate Christianity because of one thing. We only worship one God. See, Rome said, it's fine. You can have your own God. We don't mind. That's great. But you at least have to worship the emperor. And the Christians said, no, Caesar is not our God. And so they said, fine, if you're not going to worship Caesar, we're going to persecute you. Do you realize that the 11 apostles that were left of the original 12 that followed Jesus, all of them but the apostle John died a martyr's death? They were put to death. The apostle Paul was put to death. Even church history holds that Jude was killed for his faith. Persecution was rampant. So our times might look bad, but the biblical times during the early churches were just as bad too. These are what's called the last days. Jesus talked about that. Hebrews talked about it. Even Jude gets into They were living in the last days. So it was hard. But yet Jude still took time to warn his church And these warnings might come across harsh that we're going to see. They might seem hard, but yet all Jude is doing is urgently warning the church. As a parent would yell and urgently warn their child to stay out of the street when a car is coming because they don't want their kid to get hurt. The same thing that Jude is doing. Jude in his warning is showing how much he loved his church. He loved his flock. God is showing how much he loves his church and loves his flock because, again, God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, inspired Jude to give us this warning over 2,000 years later. 
Now, we're going to get back here into verse 10. So you look at me in verse 10, and this is going to tie us back to our sermon from last time in Jude as kind of a reminder. So look at me here with verse 10 as Jude writes. And Jude says, But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So here we have Jude talking about, but these people, these false teachers, and they blaspheme what they do not understand. In our last sermon in verse 9, we saw that Michael the archangel, when he was fighting over the body of Moses, he did not use blaspheme words against Satan. Instead, used the only one that could rebuke Satan, which was the Lord. And Michael the archangel said, the Lord rebuke you against Satan. But not these false teachers. According to Tom Schreiner in his commentary on Jude, when Jude uses the word blaspheme, it means speak abusively against or slander and or slander actions. They are blaspheming the angels and speaking of things they do not know. They act like they knew what they're talking about. When they started talking, it was playing the sea. They had no clue about the heavenly realm. The World Bible Commentary says, In slandering the angels, they show how little they actually understand of the heavenly world, which they claim to explore in their visions. If they really understood the angelic world, they would recognize the angels as the ministers and messengers of God. But like the Sodomites, they failed to do this. And so what is interesting about false religions and false teachers is that no matter how wise they might be, no matter how hard they have studied or claimed to have these visions, when they speak, they show they are not wise compared to the Bible. The false teachings do not hold up to the Bible, and they look like fools and like under, unreasonable brute animals. By their own lying lips and heresy, they bring God's judgment upon them. And this is why we need to stay away from them. Because God will judge them. Jude here in a minute is going to get ready to tie these false teachers to three people in the Old Testament who thought they were wise, but instead were against God. They thought they did what was right, but yet did not follow God's standards. In point one, we are going to see three examples of bad leaders. Look at me here in verse 11. Woe to them! For they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perish in Korah's rebellion. So whenever we see a woe to them, this should take us back for a minute. It should put us at a pause and look at this. A woe is a serious thing to say or to call upon someone. A woe can be a type of spiritual judgment. According to John MacArthur's commentary on Jude, a woe can be translated as, alas, how horrible it will be. If you remember, Jesus used woes on the Pharisees and the scribes during his time because of the false teaching of the law and them not accepting him of the Messiah. God himself used woes in the prophecy to the prophets to prophesy to the people of Israel and to the kings and to the false prophets. So Judas wanted to get the reader's attention because he's giving them a stern warning against these false teachers and does not want them or us to miss it. Now Jude's going to show us how these false teachers compare to false teachers in the Old Testament. The first one is Cain. 
They walked in the way of Cain. Now, does this mean they were murdering people like Cain? Like Cain murdered his brother Abel? No, they weren't out there killing people because the church would definitely have seen that as a really bad thing. But Cain was told by God how to sacrifice. According to David Helm and his preaching commentary, he said this about Cain. God spoke to him, God instructed him, God preached to him, and God taught him what was and was not acceptable behavior. And you can find the story of Cain in Genesis chapter 4, 6 through 7. But Cain did not listen to God. He did not take God at his word and thought that he knew better than God. He did his own thing. Why? Because he was too proud to submit to God. So what did Cain do? He murdered his brother Abel. Cain did not fear God or his laws, but was going to do whatever he wanted to do, thus leading to Cain to live a cursed life by God. And it's the same with these false teachers. They refused to submit to Jesus and the teachings and follow the Bibles. They were too proud to have Jesus as their Lord. They wanted to do their own things, follow their own teachings. And the false teachers we're going to see later on in this section will be cast out of God's presence forever. Our second example is Balaam. His story is found in Numbers chapters 22 through 24. If you have time later on this week, I encourage you to read it. We'll not look at it today, but that's where you can find about him. And Balaam was a type of prophet. He was not an Israelite. He would be what we call a Gentile. And he could speak blessings or curses upon people at the direction of God. Now, Balaam got this interesting request from a king of Moab called Balak. So similar names here. Balaam's the prophet. Balak's the king. So Balak, the king of Moab, wanted Balaam to curse the Israelites as they were wandering in the desert, coming out of Egypt. They sin, and then they're wandering and going to the land of Moab, getting ready to head towards the promised land in a couple of years. And Moab doesn't like them. Moab has seen them wipe out other nations. And Israel actually sends a request saying, hey, can we just go through your land? We, anything we eat and drink, we'll pay for it, all that. And he's like, no, I don't want you guys. I don't like you guys. And so I'm even going to curse you guys because I don't like you. So he tells his men, take money, go to Balaam, and ask him to curse Israel. Well, Balaam tells the guys, I need to ask the Lord. All my blessings and curses come from the Lord. So he asks God, should I go with Balak and his men to curse Israel? And the Lord tells Balaam, do not go with them. These are my people, and you will not be able to curse them. So Balaam gives his answer. says, no, the Lord says I cannot go. Well, this upset the king Balak, and he says, I know what I'll do. I will give Balaam more money. And so they bring more money, and Balaam, seeing the gold, goes back to God again and says, hey, they're back. Can I go and curse Israel? Because Balaam was greedy. Balaam did not care about the Lord's answers. He cared more about the riches of the king. Balaam was a prophet who would rather speak the words for the world's gain than to listen to the Lord. You can also find in Numbers 31, 16, that Balaam caused Israel to stumble in sexual sin. And because of that, the Lord had to judge Israel. So Balaam was not only greedy, he also did not care about the Lord's standards that the Lord had set up and gave the king bad advice on how to make Israel stumble, and they did. And because of this, you can find in Numbers 31.8 that Balaam dies with Balak, the king of Moab. 
when the Lord ordered Moses and Israel to attack Moab because of their sins, and Balaam was with the wicked king in his palace. Jude is saying that these false teachers are only in it for the money and for the riches and for the earthly gain. They don't care about the Lord's word. They don't care what the Lord says. All they care about is what they can get out of it. And they too, like Balaam, will perish in the Lord's judgment. The last example is Korah's rebellion. And you can find this story in Numbers 16. Korah and his family led a group of people against Moses and Aaron to question the authority and if God really put them in charge. He did not like, Korah and his family did not like that Aaron and Moses were the ones calling all the shots and they wanted their family to call all the shots. And they did not want to go off of God's word. Like these false teachers, they attack godly leaders in the church. Like these false teachers, they will turn the congregation against the pastors and against the deacons and against the teachers that are teaching from God's word, either to get them fired or to split the church. And they will not listen to them. They are the same things. They will try to lead the sheep away from the church and get rid of the godly shepherds. But the second thing is to note that God took care of Korah's rebellion. He caused the earth to open up and swallow them, showing that he was God and that these were his leaders. Judah is saying God will judge and take care of these false teachers, if not on this side of heaven, on the other side of heaven. So he's saying stay faithful, be watchful, keep fighting the good fight. With that, now Jude is going to move on to painting his picture on how dangerous these false teachers are, which leads us to point two, symptoms of bad leaders. Look at me in verses 12 and 13 in your Bibles. Jude writes, These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds slept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Think about this. How do you know when you're sick? By symptoms. Your body tells you how you're sick through multiple different symptoms, but it shows you and says, hey, I'm sick. Take care of me. How do we know who a false teacher is? By the symptoms by what they're teaching, by how they act. That's what Jude is going to show here, by their behavior. And here in a minute, we're going to look at the five descriptors that Jude just gave of these false teachers. And these descriptors are basically the symptoms that you can see. And he's also warning the church to stop some dangerous practice that they're doing with these false teachers. So the first one, it was found in verse 12, hidden reefs at your love feast. Hidden reefs are dangerous to ships during this time. Crews cannot see them, and when they do, it is too late, and the ship crashes upon it, destroying the ship, and maybe even costing the ship crew their life. This is why before radars and lights, there were lighthouses to help guide the ships to safety and not to crash on these rocks. The false teachers are like this, that they are, you cannot see the danger until it is too late, until the church is crashed upon them. The people might have lost their lives. And now Jude is referring to the love feast here in verse 12. And what that is, is that actually it's like a, a meal that the church would have after the Lord's Supper. 
And so for us, it would be like a potluck or a carrion dinner. And we would have our morning worship, and then we would have our Lord's Supper. And then at the end, we would have a meal to gather together to celebrate what Christ did on the cross, taking our sins, our punishment, our death, and him rising again. It would be a huge celebration that the church would have. And they called them love feasts because they were showing love to one another. This is what Paul rebukes to the church in Corinthians when they're getting drunk and being gluttony and not even waiting for everyone. This is the thing that he rebukes against. Well, the church it has a problem with these love feasts. They're allowing the false teachers to sit and eat with them in their fellowship. They're allowing them to be there to teach, to talk, to lead other members astray because they're not casting them out. You see, the love feasts were very closed. They were only for church members. They were only for those that were Christians that had believed in Jesus Christ as their only way of salvation. And they were opening their doors saying, anybody can come in, just come on in, it's okay. Let's gather together, let's just have a meal. And then they started teaching. And Judah's saying, stop this. This is a dangerous practice. And if you keep doing this, there are the hidden reefs that the church is going to hit and it's going to destroy your church and sink it. The second one we see are shepherds feeding themselves. Pastors are the shepherds of the church, and we are the under-shepherds of the great shepherd, Jesus. If you remember, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus has given the pastors the job to take care of the flock and to be on alert and watch out for the wolves or the false teachers. But these false teachers, they don't care about the flock. They only cared about their own needs feeding themselves, not making sure that the church was taken care of. Ezekiel warns about this in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 2, that the Lord says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? And there we see God used the woe to get the attention of these false teachers these false shepherds. And the shepherds during Ezekiel time were false prophets and the kings. They were supposed to lead Israel away from sin. But yeah, as you read the Old Testament in First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, you can see that the shepherds, the kings that God put in place, the prophets that God put in place, led Israel to do sin and do it greatly that it cost Israel their rights to be a nation. The same thing is happening to this church. The false teachers were in power, leading the church astray. The church was putting these false teachers in some type of leadership, whether it be a type of a deacon or a pastor or a Bible study teacher. Somehow they were putting them and saying, yeah, it's okay. And Judah saying, they don't care about you. All they care is about themselves. Judah's warning them, do not put them in leadership or else it's going to be like what happened to Israel. We move on to verse 12. Waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in the late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Now we got waterless clouds, as Judas describes them too. As we know here, especially in northern Missouri, as we have a lot of farmers, we need rain for our cattle, for our crops, and for our livelihood. And we have had droughts in the past, and during those droughts, many people, it's cost them dearly, and some have even lost their farms due to it when we don't have enough rain. And there have been times, I've witnessed myself here in Missouri, you can see the dark clouds coming, you have the hope that rain is coming, it might even bring a little bit of thunder, but then there's never any rain. And that hope that it brought up 
It's just crashed. Well, Jude is saying that's the same thing with these false teachers. They look good. They look like they're going to bring nourishment, but yet they do not. All they bring is nothing to help the church, nothing to satisfy the church. They make prophecies and claims that never come true. And this can be seen in many ways. Some of the examples you might have heard of is, if you send us your money, we will give you a great blessing. But then the blessing never comes. We've also heard of many people who have said, I sent in my money and I received a prayer cloth. And if I pray on this cloth or if I do this, my life will be great. But nothing happens. Or how many of these false prophets have had spoken a spoken word or a dream about something, but yet it never comes true. They might even say, the Lord told me to tell you that you will be healed from whatever that disease or problem is. Or they might even provide a healing service and have fake people who are sick that look good to bring in false hope. But then that healing never comes true. And what's interesting is it's never their fault. It's always the person's hearer's fault. You didn't have enough faith. You've got unrepent of sin. It's your heart issue. Pray more, read the Bible more, have more faith, and you'll be healed. He goes on and refers to them as trees in the autumn that do not bear fruit. Here we understand that a little bit in time of the harvest. We expect our fruit trees, our plants to give us food when that time comes. And we work hard, we plant, we till the ground, we water. But when the harvest time comes, if that plant or tree never gives us the fruit, we are greatly disappointed. For a tree, it might be like what Jesus did. He cursed it and it died because it did not bear him fruit. It was a worthless fig tree. You might have to cut the tree down because it doesn't work. Judas saying that is the same with these men. They are empty trees. They don't have any fruit from you. They can't provide any spiritual food. Because they themselves are dead, that twice dead. He's saying they're dead inside because they're not saved by Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can give life. So they're dead. And that second death, twice dead, is if they don't repent of their sins, then they are doomed for the second death, which is hell. And that is where they're heading. They're twice dead. Next one we see in number four is the wild waves. Now, one thing at the ocean that a lot of people enjoy and like to watch and play in and surf is waves at the ocean. It's a great time when it's a wonderful sunny day and you can get out into the ocean and have all that fun with the waves and see people surfing and just enjoying it. But when a storm hits, the waves become very scary and very dangerous and they can cause damage. They can also take life. Think for a minute of the disciples on the Sea of Galilee when they were rowing across that night and that storm came and the waves were tossing their ship back and forth and they couldn't make it to shore and the waves were putting water in their ship and what did they do? They woke Jesus and say, don't you care we're going to die? We're going to drown. And what did Jesus do? He stands up and rebukes the wind and the waves because they were dangerous. Well, that's these false teachers. They're dangerous and can cause great damage. But he talks about their own shame being thrown up. That is their sinful life. Shame that will turn anyone in the church away. Jude could also be thinking of Isaiah 57, 20, that Isaiah said, the wicked are like tossing seas, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mirror and mud. <coughs> they are casting up horrible things, and in doing these horrible things should bring shame Jude is showing their life is not good and they are not safe. 
as you would not take a boat out in the middle of a a storm-tossed sea. Do not risk your spiritual life with these false teachers. And now the last one, wandering stars. Now you might be thinking, well, stars don't wander. They stay in place. We know where the North Star is. It's in the north. That's why we call it the North Star. You can always find Orion's Belt and many other constellations, and, and it's always a wonderful time to go do. And so th- this is one of the things that I did not understand was the wandering stars. What is Jude getting at? What is Jude trying to mean? Well, I thank God for many men who wrote commentaries and did studying and did all this research on different things. And according to several commentaries, and I'm going to quote from one on Douglas Moo, it says this, ancient people believed that the heavens should display order and regularity across the night sky. And so then they therefore had difficulty in accounting for planets which seemed to wander and had no pattern. It is the planets to which Jude is probably referring to here. In fact, the Greek word behind wanderer is planeo, which is where we get our English word planet. But Jude may be suggesting a deeper reference because the ancient people were offended by planets' lack of regularity, and they often attribute their movement to evil angels, which again, Jude is tying back into the sections we looked at before where Jude did this. And so Jude here is using a thinking of the world and saying, hey, these false teachers are like what we call the wandering stars that don't have any regularity and they just keep moving because they understand the rotation. And Jude is linking these false teachers to the fallen angels. Jude is saying that these false teachers are causing chaos in your midst. And they're leading people astray. They're taking people off the path of righteousness and putting them onto the path of destruction that Jesus warned. Which leads to the second part of this verse. For whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for. So he has here the gloom of utter darkness. And Jude is using the same language that Jesus did that we find in Matthew chapter 8, verse 12. And Jesus says, While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into utter darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus also talked about this in Matthew twenty-two thirteen, where he said, Then the king say to the attendant, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jude is saying these false teachers, they're tied to the, false, to the fallen angels. That one day when Christ comes back, Satan and his kingdom will be cast into hell of the second death. And these false teachers are going with them. It has been reserved for them. And Jude is using the same language that Jesus talked about when he warned about the destruction of hell that is there for those who do not believe. Now these false teachers make themselves look good and they look better than real teachers. They use tricky behavior. And a lot of times they'll say, I have a word from the Lord for you, or I had this dream, but the word of the Lord is very vague, or the dream is vague. It sounds good. They'll make claims, the Lord told me this. But what they're doing is actually taking the Lord's name in vain to support their false teaching. Because the Lord did not tell them. We must be careful when we claim the Lord told me. Because if it's not from the Lord, then it's a false teaching. The Lord is not going to reveal some dream or spoken word to just a select few. He's already revealed all that we need to know in his word, the Bible. And we need to ask ourselves, why do these false teachers rely on their own dreams or their own secret spoken word 
and not the Bible. It's because they truly do not want to follow God and his standards, but make up their own standards to follow. And then they're claiming that they are from God, so no one will question them. They rely on secret words or dreams because it makes them look good, and people flock to them. The Bible is not popular, and the teaching is not popular. And we won't always get a big following when we preach from the Bible. But those that use dreams or spoken words or are vague, they look good, and people flock to them, and they love them. These false teachers have their rewards waiting for them if they do not repent, and that is hell. And this leads us to our point three. Point three, in the coming judgment. We look at me in verses 14 through 16 for this text. It is about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And for all the harsh things and the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desire. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Something to note is judgment is coming on all. Judgment is coming on us. This is not only foretold in the New Testament through Jesus, but the Old Testament as well. And the people in the Old Testament knew that God would judge them. But they knew to be saved from that judgment, it was in faith in God alone. Not the law, not their sacrifices, not their good deeds, but in faith with God. We see that with Abraham. And we can also see with many other people of the Old Testament who had faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, a hall of faith that talks about all these men and women who had faith in God. And so now during the Old Testament, New Testament, and today, false teachers deny God's coming judgment. They say God will not judge because he loves everyone. And they will deny the verses in the Bible of God's judgment, and they'll twist the verse that say God is love to prove God will not judge anyone. And this is what Jude is fighting against. And Jude is going to show the church and the false teachers that God will judge them through Christ Jesus. And to prove this point, Jude does something different. He cites prophecy from Enoch. Now, the question is, and this is the question we had to rest, I had to wrestle with a lot, and it will help you guys understand, who is this Enoch? Is it Enoch in Genesis, or is it the book of First Enoch that was going around during that time? Well, you find very little about Enoch, and all you find from him is in Genesis 5, 21 to 24, and you see in those verses that Enoch believed in God and lived a righteous life, so much so that he did not die physically, and God took him up into heaven like Elijah did not die physically. And that's it. So was Jude quoting from Enoch that was handed down from generation to generation to generation to generation? No, he was not. He quoted from the book of First Enoch that was around his time. Now, a lot of debate has gone into Jude about this. Why did he use the book of Enoch? What does that mean for Enoch? Does that mean it's canon? Does it mean it's not canon? Should even Jude be a part of the Bible? And this is something that the early church fathers wrestled with. So the first thing that needs to be noted is that First Enoch is not canon or part of the Bible. Tom Schreiner states, 
Citing a quote from another source does not indicate that the entire work is inspired, even if that saying drawn upon is true. For instance, Paul quoted from Aquatus or Aquatus in Acts 17:28, and he surely did not intend to teach that entire work was inspired scripture. Similarly, he quoted from Ephendius in second or in first, excuse me, in Titus 1:12 without any notion that he accepted the truth of the whole work. So even the Apostle Paul quoted from a Greek poet and a Greek philosopher. Now, both those men were not saved, and both those men actually denied salvation through Christ alone, and they believed in different gods. But Paul was using them in his arguments, and they had some good quotes. Now, Paul was not saying those guys should be canon. Those guys should be used in the church. He just used them in his quotes. So like we don't put those Greek philosophers as part of the Bible— we also do not put the book of 1 Enoch as part of the Bible, just because Jude quoted from this. And this is good to know, because recently I have heard from other Christians who said, oh, I read the book of 1 Enoch, and it helped me understand the Bible better. And that's not good. The Bible is all that we need, from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible helps us understand itself better, not outside sources that are not part of the Bible. And yes, the book of Enoch was found with the Dead Sea Scrolls. When they found the Dead Sea Scrolls that confirmed lots of the Old Testament and the Psalms, the book of Enoch was there because they kept their history with their scripture. Those that were hiding those scrolls in those caves were because they were fleeing the Babylon, Babylonians that were destroying everything. So it would be like us putting our history books with the Bible and somebody finds it thousands of years later. Well, we weren't meaning for them to put our history books as inspired scripture. We were just trying to save it. The same thing they did with the book of Enoch. So we understand that Enoch is not part of the Bible. It is not inspired, and it does not help us understand the Bible. As we move on here, we'll also see what the question is, why did he quote from it then? If it's not canon, if it's not part of the Bible, if it's not inspired, and this was written during the silent periods when God was not speaking, after he had done speaking to Israel when they're still under captivity because they kept disobeying. So why did he write from the book of First Enoch. Well, that's again where I'm thankful for men like Tom Schreiner and Richard Buckham who helped me wrestle through this with their commentaries on Jude. Tom Schreiner wrote the New American Commentary and then updated again with the Christian Standard Commentary on Jude. And Richard Buckham wrote the World Biblical Commentary with many other writers. These guys had other guys helping them. Both brought great insight and helped to understand the tricky passage. And what was great was Tom Schreiner was quoting from Beckham too. So he even used the works of Beckham to say, man, this guy has a lot of information, a lot of wisdom, and I'm going to use some of it to help. And so he quoted him. So I really appreciate that these men took lots of years and study to understand these passages so we as a church can understand them. So the first thing that Schreiner says is that the surprising element to most readers is not the content of the prophecy, but the source. First Enoch has never been considered canon by Scripture by any religious group, whether we think of Judaism Roman Catholicism, Greek or Russian, Orthodox, or Protestant, end quote. So none of those groups ever put Enoch as canon. They never said, oh, hey, this should be part of the Bible. None of them held to that. So again, we do not see it. But again, it's just wondering why. There were some church fathers who said that Enoch should not be a part of the Bible and actually would not read their, his letter in the churches and would not have a part of their scriptures. But then there were other church fathers who wrestled through it and said, no, this should be part of the Bible. This should be canon because, one, Jude was the brother of Jesus. 
Not only did Jude quote from the book of 1 Enoch, but the apostle Peter also alluded to it in 1 Peter 3, 19 through 20, and 2 Peter 2, 4. And since Peter and Paul both quoted from people outside the Bible, this does not mean that the book of Jude is not qualified to be part of the Bible. What we do is we understand that the Holy Spirit inspired these men to write the Bible and to write what they wrote, but the Holy Spirit did not inspire the author of First Enoch. Schreiner states again, it is better to conclude that Jude quoted First Enoch and that he also believed that the portion he quoted represents God's truth. Jude's wording does not demand that he thought we have an authentic oracle from the historical Enoch. So here the Holy Spirit gave Jude the wisdom he needed to write a powerful letter and to call out the sinful behavior and sinful teachers. Jude did not want to see the church he loved go down the path of darkness to hell. Jude also could have quoted from 1 Enoch to attack the false teachers. You see, the false teachers rejected Paul's letters. They rejected parts of the New Gospel Testament that were written by the eyewitnesses. But they taught and used 1 Enoch. And so Enoch, or Jude is turning the tables on them by quoting from Enoch. Schreiner again states, perhaps he referred to Enoch because the adversaries treasured the work and thereby he used their own ammunition against them. The opponents rejected the Christian teaching about Christ's coming and hence Jude cited the prophecy from Enoch. Indeed, the content of the prophecy is not remarkable, assuring the readers that the Lord will truly judge the ungodly. Like we have today, people saying that Jesus is love. He will never judge me. Jesus loves everyone, and he wouldn't send anyone to hell. There are books that are just littered throughout the place. They claim to be Christian, and you can find them in Christian bookstores. There are people who've talked and said they're pastors, and they teach this. This is not a new teaching. This is old. They're just repeating a teaching that started in the first century early church. So we must recognize that the great number of false teachers we have today is nothing new. They were even around during the times of the prophets, and you can see this in the book of Jeremiah, as Jeremiah battled false prophets. We can again see it with Paul as he battled false teachers, the teaching about the law. And so the battle that we have with false teachers is nothing new, but one that we must fight. And any time God's word is preached, expect false teachers to rise. And when they do, we must stay faithful to God's word because we know that from the Bible and what Jude is saying is that God's judgment is coming. Which again will direct us back to Jude verses 14 through 15. Jude says, It was about these that Enoch the servant from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and for all these harsh things that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jesus is coming back one day with his angel army. And he will gather those up, as it's talked about in the parables, as a net, as a shepherd gathers the sheep and the goats, and he will take care of those that are not part of his true flock. And he will separate the sheep to his right as he gives in the parable, and they will go to heaven, and the goats to his left, and they will find their eternal ward in hell. And it doesn't matter how many people claim that he is not coming or that he has already come and we missed it, it's not true. The Bible says he is coming. 
And let me tell you, folks, we are not gonna miss the second coming of Jesus. There's gonna be no way that only a select few of believers are going to only know about the second coming. That happened in First and Second Thessalonians too. The church was scared. They, mal- they missed the second coming. There's a thing called the holy rapture, and it's a teaching that says only the holy will be raptured, but the rest of the church will be left behind. And some have claimed this already happened. But that's not the case. The second coming is still coming. And here's the thing. No wicked deed, whatever has been done or said, will escape God. He will take care of it. He will take care of the evil that they have done. And though they claim that God will not judge them, this is far from the truth because God will judge them for all their wicked deeds. Look at me real quick in verse 16 as Jude again explains what their judgment's coming upon. And he says, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desire. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. So one of the things Jude is saying about these false teachers is they use their words to hurt others. God cares about our tongues and what we say. The words that come out of our mouth show the fruit of our hearts. To know if someone really is a follower of Christ, listen to the words that come out of their mouth. Listen to what they say about others and God. If they are uplifting and showing love with the words, then they're probably a Christian. Now, this does not mean we are to be perfect in our words because I can assure you, I have been harsh with my words and I have hurt others. But when I am convicted by fellow believers and the Holy Spirit, I repent not only to Jesus, but to those who I have hurt. And this shows that I am saved. This shows that we are saved when we repent and say, hey, I'm sorry I hurt you. You see, not the false teachers. They didn't care about their words. They didn't care what they said. And when someone said, hey, you offended me, you hurt me, they twisted scripture to say why they were right. But that's not a true Christian. A true Christian would say, I'm sorry. You forgive me? I didn't mean to. And they will try to do better. Tom Schreiner states that these false teachers were not joyous and loving, but critical and quick to detect the weakness of others. They pursued pleasure by seeking to fulfill their own desires rather than thinking about how they could strengthen others. These false teachers only thought about themselves and cut others around them down. Jesus said they're loudmouth boasters. They only talked about themselves and they're prideful and they're not humble before God. And they think that they're better. Again, this is not the way in Christianity. It's not the way Christians should act. There is no room for pride in the Christian life. Why? Think about Easter. It was Jesus who paid for our sins. It was Jesus who took the cross. It was Jesus who died on the cross. It was Jesus that hung there for six hours and had the wrath of God poured upon him. It was Jesus that died and was buried and three days later rose again and defeated death and sin so that we could have fellowship with God. It's not about us. Pride says it's all about me and what I can do. But Christianity says, no, it was all about what Jesus did for God and what God did by sending Jesus to us to do. It's all about glorifying the Father. That is what the Christian life is about, but not these false teachers. So we should be humble. We should be thanking God for all that he has done because without Jesus, we would still be in our sins heading to hell. The last thing Jude warns, they call out favoritism to gain advantage. The Greek word here means financial bribe, but this can be mean in different ways. They are saying what hearers want to hear. They don't want to lose members and money. They don't want to teach from the Bible because it's not popular, even during the biblical times, and it would not attract a large crowd. Again, persecution. Who wants to hear from the Bible if they're going to die? 
These false teachers are teaching whatever they want so they can be popular and have the biggest church or the following so their wallets can get thick through the offerings. And Judas calling this out and saying, Jesus is going to come back and judge this. We can be guilty of this too. You might be thinking, how can I be guilty? I don't take money, but do we call out other sins? Do we tell our friends and family about Jesus? Because we don't like to lose friends and family. We can be hesitant to say anything. Again, we're being like the false teachers. We don't want to lose our family. We don't want to lose our friends. We don't want to lose our popularity. We don't want to lose people thinking good about us. All because we're not going to tell them. In love, I'm not saying we go and hit them in the Bible or give harsh, but in love, tell them about Jesus. Call out their sins as brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, it does hurt when we lose our friends. Yes, it does hurt when we lose family members. But how better off will those friends and family members be if they repent and turn to Jesus? Not only having them turn from their sins, but you have gained a brother and sister in Christ and you will see them again in heaven. That is what Jude is saying. Do not do favoritism, but speak truth in love. This brings us to our conclusion. And dear members, this section of Jude is tough and hard, but the truth sometimes is just this, tough and hard, as Jude has written to us. False teachers, no matter how good they look, no matter how, sound, how good they look or sound, no matter how great their following is, no matter how big their church is, they are dangerous. And we should not associate with them because they will be judged by God. So will all those who follow them. We should watch out for them so we are not deceived by them or led astray. So remember these helpful and strong descriptions from Jude. Pray for the false teachers that they will turn from their sins before it's too late. Pray for the people that follow them, that their eyes will be opened by the Lord and they won't follow them anymore. Warn your friends and family of false teachers to stay away before they're caught up in the judgment. And also make sure that you have put your faith in Christ alone that you have trusted in his finished work on the cross, and that you have confessed your sins to Jesus. For it's only by faith in Jesus alone that you can be saved. Do not lose heart, for we are going to see more and more false teachers arise. But know that Jesus is coming back one day with his angel army, and he will take care of all those that are false teaching. He will judge them, and one day will be with him in glory and be with him when there will be no more sin. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Jude that you have given to us and that you have inspired Jude to write this short but powerful little letter. This truth that sometimes can be hard to swallow and can even hurt and sting, but yet through your love, through your forgiveness, Lord, help us to accept these truths and help us to continue to follow after you. Lord, let us be a warning gong, a warning voice out there telling people to turn away from their sins, to put their faith in you alone, Christ, to warn them to stay away from false teachers because the coming judgment is coming soon. For Lord, we do look forward to that one day when the sky is split open, we hear that trumpet, and you come back riding on that white horse with your angel army and taking care of sin and bringing it truly to paradise where God will dwell with man and man will dwell with God and we will see him face to face. We will see you, God, face to face and worship you. Oh, what a great day that will be. Lord, let us use and know that hope to encourage us that as the days look evil, as there is evil in the biblical times, and now we see evil today. Lord, as the church then was encouraged by this hope, Lord, encourage us in this hope. 
Lord, let us worship you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.